How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 69. Yeah, boy! I didn't realize you were filming. I, was, like, I did a little Snapchat. That's nice. That it is good. nice. That was, that was, that it was is nice. nice you no, know, I, I mean, we've, I've talked about it like off the the podcast, but I was like, it'd be really nice to get to the point where maybe we can even live stream a version of the podcast. We did talk about that once, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to do that because it would just, if it acoustically would work, it probably wouldn't sound great. I had an idea for that, but I'll talk about that with you off the podcast, off the show. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I just he's died. Dying. He's dying there, Jesus. I just died. How are you, Jake? I'm good. Well, I'm all right. It's been a long week, actually. Yeah. It's been okay. No. Yeah. A long week? Why? I don't know. Like, I just... I Like, I went through the list this morning. Like, I wrote the stuff that I watched. And I was like, holy crap. I Like, I watched all of this in the last... And I know you watched a ridiculous amount this week, but... Yeah. Didn't realize it. And yeah. then next thing you know, it, I was... Uh, I'd watched 13 things this week, so... Not 13 Reasons Why. No. 13 feature length pieces of media. <laughs> I don't know, film. <laughs> There's one two, way to well, put it. Well, essentially 11 feature films and two stand-up specials. There you go. So Feature stand-up specials. But did you want to get into some stuff? Yeah, so I have, I have a few footnotes at the front of the show for episode 69. Would they really be um, called footnotes at that point? Would oh, that's... Be... It's, it's head notes. Yes. Yeah, there you go. It's the header, not the footer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, unless I could just wait. Um, all right. Well, anyway, a few things. So, happy Mother's Day, everyone. That was yesterday. That was Australia. yesterday. So, I hope you all took care of your mothers. I did. Uh, good. Yeah. Good. I got her a pair of thermal gloves. Because <laughs> she lost a pair. Oh, it's she very lost cold. She lost, yeah, yeah, but like for like real cold temperatures. Right, okay. She, we normally, uh, my mum and I, we like going on our uh, trips to America and Canada and mm. stuff. It's freezing cold over there. And she lost her pair last time, Aww, so I went sucks. and bought her some new thermal gloves. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I actually thought about the present. <laughs> I didn't just buy, like, chocolates. <laughs> right, yeah, you didn't just buy the, the go-to thing. Yeah. Yeah, I usually I go, like, halfsies with my siblings and stuff, so I was like, the the individual presents, I'll, I'll be all, um like, technologically based. So I bought her, like, a couple of movies and, oh, nice. like, albums for a car and stuff. Nice, so. nice, nice. Yeah, it was good. Uh, so another another head note, we're gonna call them. Uh, we want I want to. I mean, we already sort of put it at the front of last week's show, but I want to apologize again for the audio quality of the first half of that show, which wasn't great. Yeah, we're not gonna have that problem anymore, though. Hopefully Ho- not. Is hopeling. We uh, we found a solution halfway through the episode. You may have noticed. Yes. And uh, we're gonna continue using that solution. But I mean, like you said, after we concluded recording, obviously the title of every episode. Is probably the more crucial half of the show you need to listen to. Exactly, yeah. The actual uh, film of the week discussion, so yeah, to speak. You know, we obviously would prefer to go for a hundred percent, but if we're gonna have fifty percent, you know, we want it to be the fifty percent that on the tail end, exactly, exactly. or the, the, the second half of the show. So So thankfully our conversation last week wasn't affected. Sounds crisp AF. Yeah. I like which, to say. Which was good because there was a lot to talk about with a lot I I've I forgot it was I was gonna say I lost my body but I remember it's under the skin. It's been a really close long enough week film. I feel like we're gonna mention I lost my body in the show at some point. Probably yes. this week, so that's exciting. Um, I got a couple of articles here. I won't talk about it too much, but I will just give a little shout out so our listeners can do a bit of homework. Okay. So there's an article on uh, if dot com. 
from sounds a, like a reputable reputable <laughs> source. <laughs> no, it's not like a news article. It's like a okay. it's like a piece, I suppose. But it's of um, I'm gonna butcher the name. Kriv uh, Stenders, okay, who directed Battle of Lontan. And uh, he does a little article here, or it talks about him and his thoughts on everything that's happening around the world with this pandemic, and specifically how it might actually have a positive effect on Australian film productions. So uh, okay. go give that a read, because it's interesting. And it talks a bit about how this might force us to reevaluate uh, the costs that we're spending, so films might be cheaper to make, uh, pre-production might end up being cheaper, because we're finding alternatives to that, all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting, uh, in the least. And the other one... It's a bit of a news story uh, from AMC Theatres, and this has been around for the last couple of weeks, but we'll just mention it really quickly, how uh, Universal have found a, a ridiculous... We always... You know what? We make fun of trolls in this in the show a lot, like especially... Justin Timberlake one? Yeah. Well, the, the World Tour, whatever came out most recently. Yes. And that film did bank. So it had to really? release... Yeah. So it had to do a digital-only release, mm-hmm. uh, like on demand, you rent it or whatever, and apparently it made a shitload of money by doing that. So now Universal are sort of looking into, oh, well, maybe this can be a more permanent release solution. Maybe we can have the theatrical release and the on-demand release simultaneously come out for all of our huge, bigger films. Now, AMC theaters did not like this, and it looks like they're actually going to ban all Universal films from playing in their theaters. Really? Yeah, so this is kind of huge. And this this was, uh, when did this article drop? 12 days ago, it says. So it's been around for a little bit, but there might be an update or two. But that was kind of interesting. And I think throughout the year, we're going to have more discussions on how the film industry is going to be affected by all of this. Well, essentially, I think, I mean, it, it's a tricky one because um, you've got sort of, uh, even prior to all the pandemic stuff, there are certain films on streaming services that were exclusively released on the, the streaming platform mm. over of cinematic releases. I mean, uh, Lady and the Tramp, the live action of that, that went straight to Disney plus. So it's, it's interesting that, um, and essentially, you know, you're cutting out the middleman there with that sort of service. Obviously Disney has pretty good control on that because Mm. if it's a Disney property, they can do whatever the heck they want with it. They make it, they don't have to put it in the cinema if they can put it straight to their platform. Well, it's like a Netflix original almost. Yeah. I mean, the only reason you saw Marriage Story or, Irishman in any cinemas was to get the Oscar noms. Yes. So yeah, I mean that we had a huge debate. Well, d- discussion, discussion about yeah. uh, you know Irishman in particular, and yeah, you know it's it's really it's an interesting thing to bring up. Obviously, um, you've also got to take into account how stagnated the world's going to be. Like um, I saw articles were talking about cinemas in Australia at least mm. are looking to be opened by July with. Christopher Nolan's Tenet going to be the <laughs> kind of the the shooting gun, I guess. To yeah, the the the, the, the spark opener. it off. Yeah. yeah, to spark the much like a film resurgence. earlier this week opened something else, but we'll talk about that in the career section. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and I think that's really interesting to think about because um, obviously when Tenet comes out, if it does come out here in July, I think July. Um, then will the rest of the world be ready for that, or how? What portion of the world is actually going to go to a cinema to see that film? And then, mm. how long are they willing to wait for places like America to screen that? Or are they going to just move that into the on-demand section, like Trolls World Tour? 
it might actually that's actually a really good in, interesting discussion because you're right it will probably most definitely have to be an online only situation in a lot of countries and over here if it's sort of the big grand opener for cinemas reopening then they kind of have no choice but to bring it here in cinemas well i mean as of right now obviously fingers crossed we're going to definitely be one of the first countries to sort of resume in quotations mm. normal life or normal standards um and so that means that films that were aimed to get cinematic releases will will definitely get them because honestly by july we're probably if we're running the course that we're running right now yeah we're going to be seeing tenant in in theaters which is great mm. for us but the rest of the world's not quite up to that point yet so yeah it's probably going to have to be considered do they wait uh to uh show it in those countries or do they just give it to on demand because it you know the more cinemas that's like you know when you start to separate that stuff like often australia is on the back end of smaller releases mm. normally um there's increased levels in piracy of those movies you know and things that's like that. true yeah so you know we certain movies we don't get to see we, we, it's getting better progressively, but there are certain films that come out at the start of the year in America, and we don't see them till the end of the year, mm. uh, depending on their size, obviously. Um, and very few times will Australia get the first dibs on a movie. So obviously, in this circumstance, to have things like Nolan's Tenant potentially come out and us being able to see it in cinemas is something that's just not going to happen in, pla- in some places in Europe and mm. in America, you know, where potentially a lot of the money is going to be i think that's the thing is um this i think this article here about trolls doing so well that's really going to be the deciding factor for how america gets to see tenet in the future especially the other universal films i mean i know tenet's i believe is warner brothers if it's if it's christopher nolan but (laughs) it yeah you're right it's it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that i think they're more I don't think they give a shit about the movie being in theaters based on what's happening here. I don't think mm. they care anymore. They're just like, oh, put it online. People will... Even the piracy thing, it's like, I can attest to the fact that, yeah, piracy would have gone up immensely in the lot just because everything has gone to digital, so everything's available yeah. to pirate. But I think in the long run, people are so used to things like Netflix now where it's like, they're happy to pay $15 a month for, oh, I just got a cheeky photo of me taken. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Zeke. <laughs> but I think there's proof in the pudding that even though piracy would get bad it, it, it will be fine because the amount of money that trolls made for example is significant so, yeah. yeah i mean so you didn't did you say the numbers did you have the numbers uh, i know there? it was over a 100 million dollars wow, i know really? that much yeah man that's crazy um, and they would have saved a lot of money on the theatrical release and distribution all that well stuff. that's that's sort of you're cutting out that middleman there yeah. aren't you and um, I think that's a deb- and I can see why the theater companies like you know AMC and stuff like that would not get very happy not get happy with that because <laughs> yeah they're putting essentially putting them out of business and uh, for the longest time people have been preaching that oh cinema's days are numbered with the more streaming platforms and you know we've always been pretty adamant that certain films they're wasted if they're not in, in a cinematic mm. experience and even you midweek were you even took to your social media to be like, man, I just miss the cinema. I do. I feel like David Lynch when I say this, but um, I do miss. I miss the cinema so much, man. Yeah. Like I just, I was watching something the other day, and it just kind of hit me. I was like, I miss being excited for new films, which doesn't really happen unless they're coming to the cinema. Well, it's strange because I, 
I honestly, especially the last couple, I mean, as long as I've known you, um, mm. and definitely so in the last year or two, um, I pretty much exclusively went and saw movies with just just you and Aww. just and Jack, and, Jack. Probably, yeah. and um, that's really interesting to think about because, um, yeah, it's a big big hole of hole of life that we had mm. just going to see cinema, you know, cinematic experience. So. Um, I think last year, I don't think I ever went, like last year especially, I don't think I've ever been to the movies that much. Like we went, saw so many movies and you went and saw movies without me too. So you saw even more than I watched me. A, I watched a lot of movies at the start of this year just by myself. Yeah. It's like Bombshell, The Gentleman. I just like, uh, 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 in, in my blood it runs. Just I was like, meh, I'm just going to go. Yeah, Be that's lonely. you slowly <laughs> progressing into an old man. <laughs> Um, but I can't wait to go to the cinemas alone again. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it is. Man. It's like, and I definitely last year was the first time I really put the effort in to go to, you know, places like Luna, like mm. the smaller, more independent uh, cinemas. I never used to do that. And last year, all the artsy fartsy movies. Yeah. And I really, mm. and some of like the more pleasant movies of last year. Mm. Well, pleasant in the sense they were really good. I mean, Nightingale was really good, but it wasn't yeah, a pleasant yeah. film. <laughs> it wasn't a pleasant experience in the yeah, in the cinema. No, uh, but it's exactly right. Like I miss, and that's the thing. I think places like Backlot, for example, they're going to open earlier because there's so few seats there. Yeah, so well, they exactly. Have, yeah, you know. they have the opportunity to open before Hoyt's does, for example. So fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. is that the uh, head notes you would that's like? That's the head notes all complete. So would you like me to kick off what we caught Absolutely. last week? I've already talked too much. Um, okay, <laughs> so as I said at the start of the show, I caught 11 features and Jesus Christ. two stand-up specials. I'll jump, I'll just get the stand-up specials out the way. Uh, I saw the latest Tom Segura one, which was called Bullhog. I really enjoyed it. I laughed okay. a lot and... I saw a Whitney Cummings special from 10 years ago, and that was fine. Um, I'm going to just kind of rush through all the, the fine films. Yeah. Um, Don't need to analyze them too no. much. <laughs> um, Unicorn Store, which was the oh, Brie uh, Larson. Larson directorial one, I was still, fine. I still haven't seen it. Um, it was fine. It's got Samuel <laughs> and her in it. So it's like, Oh, I wonder it's just, how that happened. It's just, yeah, it was like they made it on a weekend when they were shooting Captain Marvel. Um, I saw, uh, a, you know, a couple of like good films, but not like, uh, super noteworthy. I saw Missing Link this week. Oh, cool. I really didn't care for Missing Link outside of its animation yeah, style. Yeah, exactly. The story's um, very the like... The story's not good. <laughs> like... I mean, it's, it's very serviceable kids yeah, film story. I mean, I, like it's for, not a bad one, but it's not a good one. I mean, either. I I like dishing out the two and a half and threes because they're the equivalent. They they're serviceable. You yeah. know, I think if you give something you know five out of ten, you you're it's service. That's the definition of serviceable. I think. Yeah, I think like a two and a half star rating shouldn't necessarily be a bad endorsement. No, I mean I wouldn't recommend two and if I gave a film a two and a half stars, I wouldn't recommend it, but I wouldn't tell you not to watch it if you wanted yeah. to and know. i wouldn't be like like oh my god why did you waste your time watching exactly movie? yeah um uh i saw the first austin powers movie oh, uh, for okay. the first time um i'm going through a lot of those movies that i should have really watched as a teenager and probably would have enjoyed them way more i mm. mean i had what team america although i did enjoy team america uh, uh yeah, yeah world police uh <laughs> 
even See, now. See, I saw that as a teen, so it worked. Yeah. I think American Pie for me last week was that. Not that I didn't like the film, but if I watched it five years earlier, I would have loved it way more, I yeah. think. Um, Between Two Ferns, I watched the movie. <laughs> the, the movie, yeah. Um, and I've never seen the show. Uh, you haven't even scrolled past on Facebook? No. I mean, I went and watched it after. Oh, okay. okay. And there were some really funny bits in there. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a... I mean, it's probably what you expect from a movie like that. Yeah. There's nothing inherently wrong, but it was very loose movie at the best. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very loose definition of the word movie. Yeah. <laughs> and like, at least when I watched the Simpsons movie, it's like this actually feels like a film. Like yeah. A cinematic film. And between two films of movie, barely feels like a movie. It, well, exactly. <laughs> um, I watched... Uh, so I'm just rushing through these ones and going to... Yeah, lead to the ones that are actually worth talking about. That you want about. to talk about, yeah. Um, Gloria Bell, which was a film with starring Julianne Moore, was fine. Um, sort of one of those midlife crisis movies is the best way of describing it. It's sort of like, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. And she seems to do them a lot. Like, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> Julianne Moore's been in a midlife crisis for about 20 years. Um, That's awesome. So that was fine. And a film that was kind of cool, which I actually would recommend, although it was slightly above serviceable. It's called Uncorked, and it's about... Uh, uh, this is a new one, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 2020 release. Okay, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it's about, like, sort of uh, an African-American family in, in Nashville, and one of them wants to become in a wine sommelier. I, I can't say the word. It's a wine expert. But of course, it's like against sort of oh, okay. family tradition sort of stuff. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, it was one of those like real easy watches. Um, okay. Uh, did you have a lot to watch this week? Uh, not like a, not as many as you. Okay, <laughs> we um, can wrap yours up if you want. So I'm gonna wrap up with the noteworthy ones, the ones that I would really recommend. If you haven't, I would give them a watch. Okay. Uh, I watched the latest Jim Jarmusch film from last year, The Dead Don't Die. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what? This is probably one of the most polarizing films I've heard reviews on. People either love it or hate it. Oh, I can 100% agree why they love or hate it. Okay. Um, but I liked it. Nice. So come at me, haters. Yay. Um, and yeah, no, it was... Um, I think it's interesting after Patterson to have that sort of experience with this film because I think if you really liked Patterson, there's a good chance you're probably not going to like this film. Right. Um, it's got the sort of Patterson deadpanness, but... Uh, not the melancholy... No. Poetic side of it, I guess. No, it's, it's way more for humour. <laughs> gotcha. And gotcha. I like it. And I watched it with my mum and we had a lot of fun. Nice. With it. Um, which was kind of cool. Sometimes it's nice to watch films with people that aren't analysing it and they're just absorbing the, yeah, the exactly. experience. It's nice, like, relaxing. Like, oh, and even then, like, their perspective is still valuable in a sense. It's actually one of those films, I think, that would have benefited from a... Uh, because it feels like kind of like he's taken the sort of traditional zombie 50s, 60s monster movie trope. Ooh, I like this already. And he sort of flipped it a little bit on its head. Um, and it's a shame that he shot it. He shot it in, I think, 16 by 9. If, uh, and I was like, it's a shame that he shot it in just standard. Oh, like it wasn't I really would have liked. Or... I would have liked it to be in letterbox. Yeah, the 4 by 3 Nice. Like, and maybe even in black or white would have been pretty funny. But it's quite pretty too. So it's okay. like... I'm kind of glad, but I wish he had tried to, to really push, especially in the first, like, 30 to 40 minutes. Um, there's a lot of, like, oh, man, I kind of wish this was shot, like, 
the films it's trying to like mm. sort of poke fun at but like yeah it was it was an enjoyable experience um i actually have a film on my list that does replicate the time it's meant to take well this in. um mm. i'll throw it to you then okay well I've, I've burnt through a like a lot of mine okay cool <laughs> thank god <laughs> uh so the film i'm referring to is a netflix film that when i went on letterbox to give it like my little tick found that like no one's seen this film and most people don't like it, which was surprising because I actually liked it a lot. So the film is called Curtis, and it's based on the director of Casablanca and the troubles he had to go through while making that film. And uh, this was actually one of two films that uh, Damien, friend of the show, if you will, recommended. Uh, it's on Netflix? Uh, it's on Netflix. and Well, both of the films they recommend on Netflix. And what I like about his recommendations is he's not necessarily recommending films that are, like, amazing, like, you have to watch. He's, like, yeah. specifically look out for this thing. So in this case, it was the cinematography, and much like the replication of Casablanca itself, it feels it, it reminded me of um, Good Night and Good Luck, how it sort of replicates the look of the time that it takes mm-hmm. place in, and how it's in black and white. Uh, it's a very talky film, much like Casablanca, and uh, it sort of goes more into the personal life of Cortez, more so than the actual creative making of Casablanca, which I was like, eh, I wish I had more of that, but... It was still shot really well and had uh, really interesting stylistic shots of like the film reels coming down, like almost like a chicken ad, and it would come down in slow motion, all this stuff. So I was like, okay. that's that's really cool. But it got a lot of people really do not like this film, and apparently it's to do with it being oversimplistic of the story because like all the political troubles. And it does it. I feel like it does highlight what makes Casablanca special is that it's a World War Two film that was filmed during World War Two. Yeah, and that's what makes it so special, and how that connection of America's need to join the fight is much reflected in the main character. I think his name's Victor. I'm actually forgetting completely. Or oh, Rick. It's Rick. His name's Rick. Um, so it's a very special film, and this sort of highlights why. But apparently, it's not very accurate, like the actual behind-the-scenes turmoil that happened. Okay. So I'll give it the benefit of the doubt from that. I actually really liked it, aside from the potential inaccuracy of the story. Mm. So we'll I think when handling such a sensitive subject, though, I can see why people would get... I suppose, but it was more... I mean, it's about that, but it's more about like the, the producers being like, oh, you know, we need this film to re-spark America. And there's a lot of like confusing ways of how do they do that in the film. Mm. But then you have an artist who wants to make his art and that kind of thing. So from that perspective, it doesn't feel so sensitive. Mm-hmm. Especially because World War Two, it's been done to death now in, in film, so... Uh, I don't know. It's The problem is I don't know what the actual story was of Casablanca, so to speak. So I can't really comment on if it's authenticity or why they did it. It is a Hungarian film about a Hungarian director. So it feels a little like they just loved the dude and they wanted to make the film about the dude. Yeah. So that might be it, really. Sort of got caught up with some of the padding. Maybe. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Tough. Tough one. That was a good, that was a good segue, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the other films kind of like that I was really like really enjoyed this week i watched primal fear for the first time which is the that's on netflix now isn't it it is um recent edition that's obviously the richard gear and ed norton breakout role um which is kind of strange to like look back and be like oh yeah um they like you know like when you look back you think man like these when these faces like ed norton which are like so synonymous with time it's like they will have to have their breakout moment mm. when you watch their breakout moment it's like it's pretty incredible in this i mean there's like there's some really good performances i think richard gear is perfectly cast literally the de- <laughs> like he plays a smart ass smarky kind of lawyer 
and it's like you know he's got this face and it's like a gorgeous face but yeah. it's the, it's a pretentiously gorgeous face you know what i mean <laughs> it's like i said I to exactly i said to mum after watching about. i was like richard gear he's typecast because he physically couldn't play a bad guy if you look at his or if he's playing a bad guy he's playing like the arrogant rich boy like yeah. the prep boy um and i think just because just cause you don't have a lot of diversification in the types of roles you can play doesn't mean you're a bad actor. It just means no, absolutely. You're, you're confined to a certain uh, thing. But if it's done right, you come out looking a million bucks, which I think he does in the, the film. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, you said, it's more to the casting than the acting at that point. Yeah. So yeah. finding the role that he can do perfectly. Exactly. And I think this is a prime example that he can prime do. Prime example. Yeah, it was really enjoyed it. Um would recommend it. And then earlier this morning, I watched Hackers for the first time, which was the Angelina Jolie breakout mm, role. Which I never heard and of before. It is an incredibly <laughs> dorky film, but, um, you know, nothing dorky. wrong with it. Like yeah. I said to you after it, I was like, I feel like a lot of 90 films are about the anarchy and challenging the system sort of movement. Mm. I'm sure there'll probably be some screen literature piece that comes out in years to come. That'll talk about <laughs> that connection. And then the other uh, major positive film I got from the week was The Blues Brothers. I watched that for oh, the first time. Oh, very nice. Um, and had a lot of fun with that film. Yeah. Man, Dan Aykroyd was skinny once. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who is that? Yeah. I finally get all the John Belushi stuff, though. Ah, oh, like essentially me learning memes. That's kind of the equivalent of that. Basically, yeah. I guess. But it's like... Just I like, guess. <laughs> yeah, I was really bummed to find out he died, like... Two years after that. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know any Oof. of that stuff. I knew nothing about that that film. I knew that there was one there was one song, the song that Ray Charles sings in it. Um, and then that was it. But the rest of it was really fun. It was a lot of fun, that movie. I can see... It's almost like the... Uh, it was like making blues cool. The movie. Making blues cool. And, I, I, and for a product of its time, it was really good. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, what year did it come out again? 84. 83 or just 80s <laughs> it came out over across the whole decade uh let's have a quick bruise have a quick bruise 80 1980 wow so yeah i was close i just put an s at the end of it <laughs> uh well i watched a few other things this yeah. week i'll i'll rattle through them quickly because there's not a lot of great things to talk about i watched extraction which is the the chris hemsworth netflix thing and um, it is Call of Duty the movie. No, wait, that's not a thing. What do you mean? That's not a movie. What? What extraction? Oh, Call of Duty the movie. No, 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 no. It's it's. I'm you were s- making a joke. <laughs> I was, I was making like, a joke. No way, that's not a thing. Yeah, uh, I think we both need to like get back into the social scene once this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot what jokes are. <laughs> um, no, so this is uh, look. It's some of the action stuff's okay. I wasn't even that impressed with the action because there is like this eleven minute take halfway through, which is really cool, but it's it's almost too shaky for its own good. Okay. It's just like, um, and there's footage of them. It's got the shooting. Matt Damon, uh, the uh, born, born ultimate, yeah, the born yeah, exactly. Shaky cam effect. Remember when, um, I won't say who. Remember when that, one of our shooters was showing us like a Bond scene, being like, "Look how amazing the action is." It's like I don't know what's happening. That, the camera you know, person. That, that would have been a really good segue into our career section because that's the <laughs> film we made in that class. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> uh, but um, no, it's just a lot of that, which like, and it, it just feels very mid-tier John Wick. The hand-to-hand combat and the shooting and stuff, and I think that's the th- you know it's funny. Um, 
Because I think the only problem everyone has with John Wick is in the third one, it's just the Halle Berry scene goes too long. But it's like, because of those mm. movies, every other action fi- like film feels kind of null and void. You know, like I always feel like... Like I tried to watch... I tried to watch The Expendables at the start of the year and, and oh, it's just God. no good. Yeah, it's no. Like, it's like, it's just no fun. Most people can't get action right, which is annoying. Yeah, but I, I guess that's what those two, uh, those two John Wick esque, because there was two of them, right? Chad Stileski and we talked about the other one, and they both went on to make Atomic Blonde and John, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. John I Wick. think it was Chad who did. Um, he did the John Wick ones. Yeah. Um, but after they like kind of they've kind of rewrote the the action code now. You've really got to show mm. it now. You can't just hide it like you used to be able to. Exactly. I mean, it goes back to that infamous taken two shot. Where it takes like twelve shots for Liam Neeson to climb a fence. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you got to show it now. You got to show, it. and like it, it's not that this film doesn't show. It. There are like great moments. It's just I was like, if you're gonna do the eleven minute take, mm. can at least more than half of that shot not be super shaky? And we're not saying that every action film has to be like John Wick, but it's that but the comes choreography back to... was so John Wick in this film. That's the thing. Exactly, and you've got to tell if you're going to not give us the choreography. You have to give us a story then. It's mm. the sort of the trade-off or compelling characters at least. You know, if you're just yeah. going to give us like a cardboard cutout Chris Hemsworth when you know... Oh, yeah, this is the most cardboard cutout. Brooding, sadistic, and it's action like, guy. And, you know, and it's it's not like, oh, well, Chris Hemsworth can't act because we've openly seen him act. <laughs> so I mean, I was glad he wasn't trying to be funny. Which I'm getting sick of, but oh really? You get yeah, sick of that. yeah. Just but at the same time, it's the writing's like I love Joe Russo, great director, mm. not a good screenwriter. This was like so by the book student level writing. You get like whenever there would be a pickup, like a shot or this or that. It's like I could yeah. see the paragraph in the script that describes this shot. Like that's not a good thing if you could telegraph the film. By the script that. to screen's just identical. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can see that, and it's like I really. There are plenty of films when I don't see that. I'm like, how did they write this? Where something subtle, like the direction, is so interesting. You're like, how was this written? And then this mm. film was like, oh, I can see how it was written, and it, and yeah, I don't know. Just no, I don't know. Well, I'm it sorry f- to yeah, it's... sorry to hear that. <laughs> I watched something a little better than that though. Okay. So I also watched The Professor and the Madman, which I was quite excited about. Yeah, is that a 2019? Uh, yeah, I think it came out over here this year. Okay. Like, it just hit theaters for like a week before. I had no clue about this one. So this is Mel Gibson as James Murray and Sean Penn as Dr. William Chester Minor. And... So the nutcases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Sean Penn, uh, there's a bit of overacting in this film in terms of his nutcaseness, But uh, you can see what I mean if you ended up watching that film. But no, so it's about the relationship of these... Uh, this professor and this guy in a psychiatric ward who helps him to create the dictionary, the first Oxford dictionary. I, I, here's the thing. It makes it very interesting, like finding words and definitions and that yeah. stuff is all really interesting. And it actually made me like look a bit into how dictionaries were made. I didn't realize it took like 70 years for the first dictionary to be made, which is kind of insane. It sort of makes sense when you think it. About does it. make, yeah. And you watch this film, you're like, yeah, it would take you like two years to find every A in the world. It's crazy, especially like back then. Breaks my brain. Where they they would, and it was actually really, it was basically crowdfunded, the dictionary. What they did is they had people send in books and definitions mm. and stuff uh, to their personal library to then analyze all those books. So I was like, ah, oh, it was actually a huge collaborative effort, which was really cool. Yeah. 
But unfortunately, the film sort of takes... I don't want to say a nosedive. It's still a good film, but it, it the plot slowly turns into something else. It's about the relationship between these two people, which I just didn't care for as much. I was like, this So where did you catch this film? Uh, somewhere. <laughs> I see. Well, like you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, it's um, films came to theaters for a week, and then all this stuff started happening in twenty twelve or twenty twenty. <laughs> Jesus, not twenty twelve. We all exploded in twenty twelve, <laughs> if you recall. Um, so a lot of films just sort of bit the bullet and went straight to digital from that point onwards. So uh, a lot of these films are readily available. Well, I've had this sitting on my on my computer for. Apparently, it's a the uh, feature debut for the. Oh, yeah, for the well, apparently the director was not happy with the final cut and used a pseudo name, which oh, I thought wow. was very interesting. So it was like PB something or something on the actual film, but then, of course, it's easy to find out who actually directed if you just go on Letterboxd. It's but, true. Um, yeah, and it's fine because I was watching this. I kept comparing it to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I thought was justified because it is a period piece about an unconventional relationship, and they're both sort of striving to create this piece of art one way or another. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, it's... I see where the similarities are, and it's probably an unfair comparison because I think Portrait is one of the best films ever made. So it might be a little unfair on on Professor and Madman <laughs> to compare it to yeah, that. Yeah, I can't, I can't say I've heard too much about it, even buzz or any sort of talking about it. Or yeah, it's one of those like films where you go on Letterbox. It's like the three, three and a half, and four star ratings are like all the same size. So this yeah. is one of those films where a lot of people have different thoughts on it, and I thought it was good. I thought it would have been a better book. Okay. Because at least with portrait... They could have put it more dictionary definition. Well, exactly. They could be more meta with how words are used. I'm not saying the film doesn't make them interesting. It does, but with a book... And to be fair, there is a book. This is based on a book from Mm -hmm. 1998. I think the book's called... I got it here. The Surgeon of Crawthorn. So if you want to actually read the story, there you go. Um, I think it would be a better experience because, again, words, it can be meta with that. Much like portrait was able to be meta because it was still a visual language. Painting is visual. Mm-hmm. So you can visualize. You can't really visualize words to the same extent, at least not in a grounded film where there's no like graphics on the screen and stuff like that. They don't do any of that. Yeah, see, you've got to be. I feel like it's tricky because it's like you don't want to walk. What you know, someone like a film like this, honestly, probably would have fared really well with a director like Ron Howard or something like that. I'm getting like okay. That sort of, oh, like the beautiful, like a beautiful mind sort mm. of esque. Thing when you think about it like uh, i mean i really enjoyed that watching that film so maybe someone like that might be appropriate with handling this sort of yeah. uh, piece but see i just rewatched grinch so that's what i'm thinking of okay when you talk about ron howard <laughs> no, you get... i was thinking of a beautiful mind yeah because they do pretty good with conveying the schizophrenic sort of okay and there's a lot of that in this film too yeah okay so... like thematically speaking yeah um but uh, I don't know. I I started to curl a little bit when you went. Oh, it's Mel Gibson. When I saw it was Mel Gibson and Sean Penn, I was like, oh, that that's a lot of crazy on one see, set. They but <laughs> <laughs> they see they both like do like great accents and like they like I don't see Mel Gibson when I watch it. it was just it was, like really cool. It's like, oh cool. Yeah. This looks like a character. Sean Penn is so over the top in some scenes, not always. I think it's the first half when you're not sure if he's crazy yet, and you find eventually, oh, he actually generally is. But that first half is like, man, he is really cranking it up. He, he channels his inner Al Pacino. Yeah, it's like, fucking hell, it's calm down. <laughs> calm down, dude. No worries. Did you have uh, any other things? Uh, i got two other films I'll just okay. quickly mention. So the other one that Damo recommended me was I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, which is a Netflix sort of gothic horror okay. 
sort of film and here's the thing again he didn't recommend this as like a this is a great he's like just look out for like it's sort of aesthetic the style mm-hmm. and it has great style it sort of felt like a weird mix between Ari Aster and um uh like Lamp- Lamphamos films you know like okay. dog Tooth sort of stuff um and it felt like the weird mix of the monotone dialogue but it's also got like the crazy aesthetic of like a hereditary and it's very slow paced this might actually be the I said this to I think I walked down I saw my sister and I told her this I said that was probably the most unsatisfying film that I would recommend to someone because it's very slow and very methodical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know, like the ending, like it all makes sense in the ending. I'd like to hear that pitch. You should watch this film, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not so much that I don't like it. It's just I was unsatisfied with a lot of the, the, the way things came together. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cool photography in terms of how they use motion blur and vintage yeah. sort of fade and stuff like that. But uh one of one of my mates, Brandon, on his letterbox review, he's the only mate I have on Letterbox who's seen it. His review, he called it a visual poem. And I was like, that clicks. That sort of mm. makes sense. If you go into it knowing this is this is essentially poem the movie, then you know plot wise what you're probably gonna get. Is it scary? Uh not really. As in like is there a lot it's of not jumpscares? it's not jump scary or anything like that. Okay. Like there's a cool scene where she's the girl's on the phone and like the it's like one of those old phones with the huge cord and the cord like starts moving along as if some sort of invisible man, if you will, is <laughs> sorry, Zeke, uh, is like grabbing it and then so it's it's like it's not a jump scare because you obviously know where that scene is going, um, but it's ultimately more poetic and all of that than it is scary. Okay, but and the other one I saw, I'm nothing really to say on this is the Deer Hunter. Oh, really? Also known as Russian Roulette, the movie. <laughs> also, nothing to say on The Deer Hunter. I just... Wow. I, like, it's a good film. And I mean, I've some... never seen it, but it's right. like, I'm aware of the, the Deer Hunter-esque. I uh, mean, it, it made the wedding scene on The Godfather look like a montage. Like, the first 48 minutes is essentially a wedding, which I get it. They're establishing the, the life they have there before they go to Vietnam. Yeah. I get it. But it's a three-hour film. It doesn't need to be three hours. It asks a lot of its audience. And it must be it must yeah. be tricky too because you've got a lot of gauges of that time too because you got you know we've only very recently done Apocalypse Now too mm. so it's 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 must be hard to like try and like make it interesting and unique. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, but what what did engage you? Is it just too long? Um, I mean that was part of it. It was hmm. I think there was some weird like when they go to Vietnam. It's such a sharp turn well all of a sudden they're there and they're killing people and they like the russian roulette scene happens like five minutes into the vietnam stuff so that was a bit jarring for me and see it's it's not so much the length it's the pacing okay i was like i didn't need to be at that wedding for 50 minutes it's like that was a little it felt like it was trying to be the godfather it felt like oh we got robert de niro let's just have him at a wedding react to things for a very long and you know we saw the irishman together yep there's not a scene i would take out of the irishman and it, it, yes, it is like a faster paced film, but it's like, it feels like there's less filler. And frankly, The Deer Hunter, I feel like there was a much shorter version of that film that can still deliver its message. Okay. Of what happens to these friends. It's definitely these something I need to visit because mm. it's been sitting on my shelf for ages and I've just never had four hours or three hours to, yeah, exactly. to watch it. But, uh, I mean, you tell me, if you get to it, you tell me what you think. But, okay. Um, I was sort of, 
I'm not down. It's still a good movie. Like the plotting, you can't really argue the acting and the the way it's plotted. But um, Christopher Walken's great in it as well. But I think the pacing threw me off. I was like, it didn't need to be this long. So that's I don't know. Fair. Hot take. Hot take. Yeah, exactly. Hot take for the for the audience. But uh, that's it. I've, that's everything I've seen this that's week. A lot. We've burned through a lot there. Um, we, well, collectively, that's what like twenty films. That's a lot of films. <laughs> Well, we actually have career stuff. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa. It's crazy. Um, so, you want to lift us off with this announcement, Zeke? Well, much like uh, uh, our film lifted off. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, obviously, even in isolation, there are still multiple film festivals that have decided, hey, we're going to take this opportunity to sort of give still filmmakers as well. Give filmmakers a chance to showcase work, uh, you know, offer distractions. And a couple of weeks back, uh, one of them happened to be called uh, the Static Film Festival, mm. which uh, you can see, follow both their Instagram and Facebook under that little, name. Little plug, little plug. Um, little plug. And yeah, um, so funny that Jake brought up the Bourne Ultimatum sort of thing, because like I said earlier in the show, uh, one of the film that we made in that class mm. back in second year uh, actually got accepted, which was Cradle. There you go, Cradle um, is the official selection at Static for, Film Festival. Yeah, and they uh, it kicked off the festival Friday. Friday, Friday night, I think. Yeah. yeah, on the eighth of May. So, and this festival's running from the eighth of May to the twenty fourth of May. All of the films are being played through their website and on their YouTube channel at Static Film Fest. I think it is. Yeah, staticfilmfest.com or filmfestival.com. Yes. Um, and it wasn't the only film made. By it was us. not. So, X Rental also got accepted into the documentary category. Yeah. So there we go. Two of our films. In the in the festival, so we're not hacks. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the true conclusion. Uh, take that insert name here. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's really cool. It's really cool to you know see what other other things from all over the world are in. Yeah, I haven't festival. I haven't caught the others yet, but I, I'm gonna probably wait until closer to the end and then just start watching them all. Yeah, um, that's fair. And yeah, some of them look cool. Some look really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good mix of. Uh, styles in there which are really yeah uh, there's one there's one animated one that came out recently that looks really cool like pepper mache stop i really liked it too yeah. oh have you seen it i did watch it yeah. nice nice stylistically i really vibe it so I'll i would kind of like it. i was like when they, they 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 gave a few behind the scene photos and they like did it all on a green yeah screen i saw i saw I was, that those photos yeah and i was like wow that's really cool i didn't think it would be on a green screen so yeah. like yeah so yeah go check that stuff. out static film fest yeah. No, like you said, I love the broadness of everything there. So Exactly. Well, um, well, yeah. And I any... think I think we before X Rental comes out, we still got one more podcast, I think. I think the night of episode seventy is when X Rental gets us like launch. There you go. So uh, we'll talk about that next week. If you want to know more about X Rental uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you have um, anything else you wanna add? No, I think that's I mean that's it. Both our films go into festivals. No worries. First time technically, I think. Well, you um pre- uh, pretender got into the yeah. other one. So this is, yeah, film film number two. Yeah, for me. Yeah, Yay. boy. Well, this would be uh, film one and two for me technically. Yeah, that's good. So there you go. That's We're even. <laughs> well, like Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. <laughs> yes, yes, I am definitely the hot one of those two. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, it's uh, time for us to move into our next installment in the 
Cinema Sideshow, Countdown Through the Decades, Ooh, Retrospective. Baby. We're moving into the 2000s. The noughties. Viewer choice, Jake, what are we watching? This week on the show, we're watching Spirited Away. Hey! You said just a quick look! Now let's go back! You shouldn't be here. Get out of here, now! What? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go! I'll distract them. Don't be afraid. I'm Master Haku. No! I just want to help you. No! In this animated feature by noted Japanese director Hayao Miyazaki, 10-year-old Chihiro and her parents stumble upon a seemingly abandoned amusement park. Mm. After her mother and father are turned into giant pigs, Chihiro meets the mysterious Haku, who explains that the park is a resort for supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm, and that she must work to free herself and her parents. Yeah. Mm. So this is a 2001 film voted very convincingly by our audience. Yeah, it was like 40-something to 11. <laughs> yeah. No one wanted to see a David Lynch film. Oh, uh, <laughs> big <laughs> <Zig's> very happy. <laughs> we remember you, Blue Velvet. Uh, I, like, I like how so far we've done three votes. Of course, we'll talk about the latest one at the end of the show. I like how the one that wasn't your film that you voted for is the one that you're most happy you didn't have to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to force myself to watch films from him. Now. Uh, that's fair. I think I've only... Which feels bad, because people like, love his films. So, um, it's maybe just... Well, apparently not in comparison to Spirited Away. <laughs> no. Um, and I'm kind of really happy with this, because like I said last week on the show, this is the first animated title episode we've done that wasn't a Disney Pixar film. <sighs> My goodness. Um, yeah, first traditionally animated film, which, which is awesome. Uh, it's pretty crazy because we were both huge fans of like last year's I Lost My Body, mm. um, which probably could have easily been the 2010 pick if if one of us had nominated That's it. true, but I, I don't think it's very indicative of the decade so much that film. No, so, yeah. um, and I think this was a really good choice for this decade at least, respectively. So um, I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, so I have some facts about this film I want to spit your way, Zeke. Please spit them my way. <laughs> Please spit on me. <laughs> Probably don't, actually. This is episode six. Oh, yeah, that's true. Bad social distance yeah, practice. Social... Yeah, we'll get to that later in the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, of course, this is renowned as one of the greatest animated films of all time. Yep. Directed by, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Hayao uh, Miyazaki, and probably Studio Ghibli's most popular film. It is actually... Probably the most acclaimed. Too. Oh, for sure. It is the ninth highest rated film of all time on Letterboxd. Only beat out by a few films like uh, The Godfather, Parasite, Twelve Angry Men, and I think this film's better than all of them, to be honest. Um, let's see. Uh, you just talked about Pixar, but of course Pixar still had their hand on this film in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> so John Lasseter, whom we will never speak of outside of this context, uh, was actually an EP on the English dub version of this film, okay. and is actually the, he's the one that pitched to Disney to do the English dub. Or to, to produce it in the US sort of thing. Which I thought was very interesting because you compare it to something like... I mean, the, definitely Parasite's a very good comparison to this film in terms of a, a breakout non-English film that doesn't have its own English dub. And I don't mm. think Parasite's ever going to get an English dub. So it's interesting that this film did in comparison. But I guess that was the time we were in. 
Uh, and lastly, I would never want a parasite English dub. Yeah, okay. I just I can. They're gonna remake it in English, but it's not gonna be a dub. You're right. It's gonna. Who's gonna watch that? Yeah. No, well, <laughs> some people will. I'm never gonna watch a fucking Chinese movie. <laughs> That's my interpretation of people who don't like Parasite. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, and to end it off with a couple more, uh, I guess, statistics, this is actually the highest grossing film of all time in Japan, in which it beat Titanic at the time and continued to be the highest grossing film with, what is that, I think, 30.8 billion yen, which equates to 288 million US dollars today. Damn, so for Japan, that is insane numbers. And it is still to this day the only non-English and the only hand-drawn animated film to win a Best Animated Feature. So it's hand-drawn? Yes. Wowzers. Wowzers. Yeah, there's definitely... I was looking now, I was like, there's definitely no 3D implementation here. Because like, even Futurama in 2001 was doing 3D stuff in their, mm. in their shows. But, yeah. So... That's Spirited Away's facts. I just spat at you, Zeke. You did just spit them at me. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I never knew it was that high, highly ranked. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, I never knew you thought so highly of it. Um, right. Oh, did you just go on the letterbox? No, I didn't. No, but I <laughs> probably should now. Oh, um, yeah, okay. Let's hear, let's hear this. So it's not in my diary because I've already seen... I've watched this film in primary school. I'm assuming you just gave it five, right? I did give it a five-star yeah, review um, in the sense that this is the first time I watched the film properly in over a decade because that's how a lot of guys in primary school. Holy crap. <laughs> and so it was cool to watch it for the first time with an analytical eye. And I was just like, holy God. Like, don't get me wrong. There were several moments when I was at, at just a random point in the scene. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, I still had that moment, but I was like, but this is... Oh, it's it's just so good. Like, this is... It's the same reason I gave Swiss Army Man a five-star review. Okay. Is because, like, just the imagination, the uniqueness, the world we're entering in is just so interesting, and it's so well done, and the pacing's so good, even for a film that is unusually long for an animated film. Mm. Films are rarely two-plus hours if they're animated, especially hand-drawn. Yeah, it's true. This so, is a 210, isn't it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, I actually checked on IMDb. This is in the top ten longest animated films. That's time. crazy. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's insane. Because animation, usually you want to... It's so much work, you do it in 80 minutes. You try and tell that. Even CG. Like, most Pixar yeah. films are under two hours. Clearly, there was definitely a... Like, they wanted this to be... They had a story to tell, and they mm. weren't going to let anyone cut their story down just because of the workload. Yeah, so exactly. So, clearly, obviously, a very passionate team behind it and a very dedicated team wanting to get the vision to come to light but yeah so this is your first time seeing it a couple of yes. days ago yeah just give me your because i really don't know i i know what score you gave in letterbox but i don't know what your thoughts are on the film um the big thing that i took away from it was well i enjoy, i enjoyed it for it's the animation mm. stuff and sort of the otherworldly thought that i've seen now two studio ghibli films i've seen how's moving castle literally earlier like probably less than a month ago mm. and this one and the level of imagination is definitely otherworldly to me mm-hmm. i think um because even as a, a, a like a fellow creative um <laughs> yep. i don't think my imagination strays too far out of reality right like a grounded story sort of yeah thing. i generally write very grounded stuff i have like surreal elements but it's 
not to the point where I'm like, oh, and then there, there's this amusement park with the spirit world where mm. people turn into animals. <laughs> and then there's this... And it felt like it got to the point where it's like, yeah, you get 45 minutes in. I watched this probably with the... Like, and you know him. Um, I watched it with my our mate Morgan, <laughs> who is a bricklayer. So watching him <laughs> and has a very, you know, he loves his like history films, but mm. they're all reality based. So right, it's not like folklore, him, ancient history sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, for him, watching this film was like, what? <laughs> what is going on? He's <laughs> a very fun person to watch it with, but um, maybe uh, not necessarily the right person to watch it with. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I. Overall, I enjoyed it well enough. Mm. Yeah, definitely had a lot of creative elements to it. The big, the big um, takeaway that I had from it that I really enjoyed about the film, honestly, was the uh, music composition. And yes, it's, and it's yes. it sort of does complement this otherworldly talk that I'm saying. The, these things that just don't cross my mind, and and honestly. One thing I've noticed about these Ghibli films is there doesn't feel to be a, a direct antagonist in any of them. Mm, I, everything you're saying right now, I, I want to dive in so bad. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, well, it's good that I'm bringing this stuff, so I'm <laughs> exactly. not crazy. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. it's funny, it's, I think we've done two weeks in a row now of unconventional films, so it's yeah, kind of... very... I mean, I wouldn't call this an abstract film, but there's, there's a lot of mystery to it, for sure. No, there's definitely... Simple narrative themes embedded in a complex world, I think, mm. and abstract world. But essentially the themes are simple enough to interpret on the surface, but it's embedded in a lot of strange abnormality. Whereas something like Under the Skin last week, we both had two completely different interpretations mm. of the film and although there is the intention of a filmmaker's meaning in that film which you know you dived into with the behind the scenes stuff yeah um you could still have multiple takeaways from this whereas i think the ghibli films generally everyone interprets the same way it's just Mm. how they get to that point (laughs) exactly i think the perfect it actually is perfect in the sense that under the skin thematically we had to you know reach for straws to find the the themes in that film because there's there's so little given to us on a on a silver platter. Yeah. While with this film, I think it's the opposite. I think this film, there's so much going on in this film mm. that you're right. There's like, gosh, where do you even start thematically with this film? And I think I did a little research to, to sort of, uh, you know, sort of get it in my head, like kind of a clear idea of what's mm-hmm. going on. And uh, the one thing that I read was, uh, of course, that it is a coming of age story of Chihiro more specifically her turning from an ch- from a child to an adult which i i can see that transition to Alice in Wonderland 11 year olds have to go through that by the way <laughs> yeah this, that's pretty messed up what happens in this film yeah. the thing that i took away as well and i won't dive too much into this is how the workers fade from existence when they're unable to work essentially and we see it with the little the little creatures delivering the coal we see it with uh, no face when Chihiro refuses the gold and he sort of reacts to that. Mm. So that was something that I feel like there's a lot of themes in here to do with um, maybe not necessarily capitalism, but the idea of like the worker and the usefulness of the worker and everyone sort of coming together. That that really spoke to me, especially the way how we see this building that's labeled oil, 
but it doesn't look very industrial. It's a very it looks like a hotel from mm. the outside, which I which I took really interestingly. To your point with the soundtrack as well, I love not. So, I mean, the music's amazing, but what I took away more more so was how booming it is in the the actual film's soundtrack. Mm-hmm. How loud it is, and how you can still hear the dialogue, of course. But it's so present; it's not a subdued soundtrack in the slightest. Yeah, and there's definitely good period, uh, solid periods of time where there's not a lot of dialogue or a lot mm. of non-dialogue. So the music sort of carries it. Yeah, it carries way. it. Yeah, there. At some points, it definitely feels like a silent film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think that's a big thing about that I've noticed in both of the films, but particularly more in this one. And I really like its unique nature. That's definitely like it was. It was a strength of last week's discussion, but it's it's still present present in this one. Mm. Um, it it needs to be there, I think, in a lot of ways because sometimes, and I, I mean, unfortunately, we're not reviewing this film. Neither of us have seen the uh, Japanese version of it. I watched the Japanese version okay, last night. Well, beg my pardon. <laughs> uh, I was actually something I forgot to mention earlier was um, I was surprised that Netflix defaults to Japanese. And I was like, I I think that might be a case of your um, Netflix. Oh. So when you switch to the original base language, the Netflix are like, oh, so you're a film snob, and then they correct <laughs> it for every other foreign language film. Because <laughs> I did that when um, I was watching that Izzy and Aussie, and okay. it was in English. It was an English uh, dub. I switched it to. I was like, the lip sync looks off. Right. And then I checked it in the thing, and it was like, oh, German's the original language. And ever since then, any film I've watched that was German-based or foreign that wasn't English first right. language, it just it automatically corrects to that first. That's You might be right on that, because, yeah, for me... It, it, it's the film snob setting. <laughs> yeah, they, Netflix say no, man. They're onto it. Um, so, yeah, it did default to Japanese for me um, with English subtitles. And I thought, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's an English version. And, of course, it's on there. You can switch it over. But yeah, I they started. They have English versions. I'm pretty sure all the studio. Oh, okay. Ones. I mean that makes sense. I think I remember when I was reading about John Lasseter doing the the dub, how the lip syncing was actually very crucial. That was like one of the main things they spent all their money trying to get right with the English version. So I think the English version is very watchable. It was obviously the version I watched in primary school. I doubt I watched the Japanese version in yeah. school. But uh, when I went to watch it last night, I was like, oh, I might as well watch it in Japanese. I might as well watch it in its, in its native tongue. So, did it? F- I feel like the, I do think the messages came. They all came across, at least I assume, accurate to the English. Like the English, the translation has. Uh, did you over. watch it with subtitles? No. Okay. It, even if, because it's the same subtitle track, regardless of the the actual soundtrack you listen to. Okay. So even if you watched it in English with subtitles, you're reading the same subtitles that I would be reading, mm. even if the audio is in Japanese. Uh, that being do you remember sim- the story the same way? Oh, I mean, I okay. imagine. So, I mean, I was very young yeah, when so I first... A, that's so that's why I wouldn't have remembered. Like, oh, this scene, this scene is new, new to me. But, I mean, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. I mean, if you're going to watch it in English, don't put the subtitles on because then it doesn't match perfectly. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, it's translation. It's never going to match perfectly. But I think the, the key takeaway of Spirit of the Way is you can watch it either way. I mean, the English dub is really good. I mean, for the it, film. I think its mainstream success is because it was English dub. Exactly. I yeah. think that's the the truth of the matter is foreign language films have you know always been a present thing, but they've always been more for more considered by the cinephile community. I mean, it was a big co- conversation point when we were talking about Parasite, 
is only now are people starting to open up to watching mm. more like foreign language films, like as a foreign language film. Right. Whereas back when Spirited Away came out, which is nearly twenty years ago. Now, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Like you said, you know, even you know, you made a joke earlier. There's no way I would have seen the the original Japanese version. Well, in only only because I was a kid. Yeah, so, like but the, the teacher wouldn't have made us read subtitles. But I doubt that teacher also went home and watched. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, like, I it just like if there was an English option, people would always take the English option. I mean, or whatever's yeah. the most consumable, which is English, generally speaking. I'm sure the Japanese audience watched the Japanese version, <laughs> but it, it. I mean, especially when you, you say you bring up, you know, John Lasseter, and it's like the Disney sort of hand overriding it. Yeah. It, it, that would have been consumed majoritively by American audiences in the English. I think you're right. Cause the 2000 in 2001, you're right. We, I think a big thing of the people watching films with subtitles is, is attributed to streaming. Apparently streaming has made it easier and more common for people to watch films in subtitles now. So back in 2001, that was just not really an option, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I always think back growing up and seeing every now and again one of these Studio Ghibli films walk, you know, like getting shown on like the, the trailers before you'd watch your VHS right. or your DVD. And uh, a lot of them would be like, you know, they would market the English version of the film. I think Ponyo, oh, Liam course, Neeson's yeah. the voice in that one. And um, and in How's Does Moving Cars... Uh, I think I'll double check it, but in *House Moving Castle*, I do know it. It was Billy Crystal and Christian Bale were voices. Oh characters. yeah, we, we we have talked about this on the, um, on the show. So before. they, whereas the interesting one about this is, I don't think any of the characters in *Spirited Away* on their English. The cast is not like a known. cast. It's not a known memory. cast, yeah. they which I love. Traditional, I love that that traditional Disney formula of mm. voice acting for the hand-drawn animation wasn't main people. I think I think the film you didn't get Robin Williams <laughs> and yeah, Robin Williams in play Haku. Yeah. Oh God, could you imagine? <laughs> it's a completely different film. No, I, you're right. I think it is an interesting discussion. And again, the reason I watched it in Japanese last night was because I just hadn't done that before. Mm. I was like, I might as well. And now that I'm a, a certified film snob, I can do that. Um, I don't wear think, it with pride. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I necessarily had anything given to me or taken away by doing that. I think it was just cool to not be distracted because I think sometimes English dubs, again, I think Spirited Away's English dub is great, but it can be distracting at times. Yeah, um, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't too much of a problem. This I actually think uh, there's not a, there's not a huge amount of dia like I don't remember there's not a huge amount of dialogue in this film, mm-hmm. um, so it's not a very talky film. But it still gets the meaning across. Um, there, like there's exchanges between characters and stuff. But you know, I remember this film more as a sequence of events rather than people sitting around talking. Okay, yeah. Um, and I, I come back to I don't think there these types of films have conventional antagonists. You know, you or the fact that um, the overseer. I'm trying to remember her name. I've got to get. All oh, Yababub. Uh, yes, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I got a couple of names in here. That, um, the boss I, of the, yeah. the, the sauna. Yeah, uh, yeah. I call her called? Yababub. I mean, that's her name, but okay. the, because her, she has but, a baby. She has a bubba. Yes, but she <laughs> also has an identical sister. Yeah, that was one of those, oh, what the fuck moments. <laughs> and it's like, I like they even dress the same, and I was like, whoa. Like, but I think it's to sort of show the reflection of 
of character in, in like there's nurture and mm. and in both um and i think i think those two in particular really hit on your thing about who's the good guy who's the bad guy something because I, I wrote that there's such an ambiguity ambiguity jesus I'm having a stroke over here ambiguity you know it's ambiguity ambiguity that's yeah. it it was the gu ambiguity What's between also no face too and no face exactly it's like there is a difference between the good and bad guys and who's looking out for Chihiro like who's an aid to Chihiro's journey those mm. are different answers you're getting there exactly and then it's things like uh, Haku who's really nice and then ignore like stonewalls mm. her although albeit to just be yeah like, that, uh, yeah i think that's clear what he's um yeah trying to but do but then when he's the dragon character he lashes oh, out so um and there's a very similar character in that in house moving castle which is christian bale's english double <laughs> version character ha- well that Hal, would distract me so much um who's nice to the lead person but also can lash out and forgets mm. who he is so it's it definitely swings both ways. Um, I think for Miyazaki, Dying, the way yeah. he goes about making characters, he shows, uh, you know, not flawless, like very flawed characters. Mm. Um, but both, like, he shows very hu- uh, human characters, I guess, which actually is, is strange, kind of, yeah. which is actually unconventional for film, yeah. So, <laughs> which is maybe like, it comes off kind of odd. But I guess because they're in such abstract circumstances, we forget how normal... Like, the way she acts is annoying in the first 15 minutes, but she's a 10-year-old girl who's lost her parents, so how do you expect her to act? Yeah, exactly. I When I rewatched, it, I was like, she's not as annoying as I remember her being. Because you're yeah. right, it's justified. It makes sense that that's well, sort of her At least the journey. first 30 minutes of the film, she's... A scaredy cat. A, yeah. She's, I, I said to Morgan, I was like, she's either screaming or like... Just crying. And she does that for like the first hour. <laughs> That's but true. it's like at the end of the day, it's like, what do you expect a 10-year-old? But we're, we're exactly. conditioned to think that just because they're our protagonist, doesn't matter what their age is. You know, you look at, you know, I mean, we applaud things like the first It movie because mm. those kids almost react like, react like they should react in that circumstance. They're not the Goonies, for instance. Well, I, th- I think the Goonies are kind of, from memory, they do sort of swear and this and that. Or yeah. I might be thinking of Stand By Me, but... No, you're right. Like they're, they're depicted as actual kids, yeah, not like children, so to speak. The they don't have like the Charlie Brown syndrome, exactly. Of, like yep. you know, being adults in kids' bodies. Yeah, they're not a Dennis the Menace. Exactly. Oh, what a menace! He has a slingshot. Love how you. Is that that's an Australian show, right? <laughs> is it? I've always thought of Dennis the Menace. It sounds. I've Australian. Never thought about it, but you might be right on I'll that. Have to double check that. That's fascinating. Yeah, d- double check on that, but. Yeah, like I said, like it's it's that was what's fascinating me is like there are people who are like they're dicks, but they're kind of helpful to Chihiro, but they like That's I just film. oh it is okay. <laughs> they got the picket fences in there, like I guess that makes sense. But that's I think that's what I was surprised at the most spirited way. It's like it's not really clear who's like No Face is, a, is a, such an iconic character from the get go, mm. but like just where does No Face especially when like he starts eating people? It's like oh my god, like I don't. It's so hard to tell where the allegiances lie sometimes. I kind of love that. Yeah, it's 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 tricky because I think at the end of the day, it's it's at its core, it's a journey film of a young, um, a young child journeying mm. not necessarily into adulthood, but into young adulthood. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, she's starting to develop, uh, you know, like perennial roles. You know, the way she looks after the 
the giant baby. I'm sorry. I'm oh, yeah. The giant... so I don't, I don't, I don't know the name of the giant baby. Don't it gets turned into the small mouse. Um, <laughs> it's real tricky. It's real tricky describing these films because it's like it's like you like them, but it's like at the end of the day... They're hard to like... describe because it's such a visual But spectacle. it's sort of like characters, they, they can appear scary, yet they end up being the ones that help her the most. You mm-hmm. know, um, I think of... I want to say he's like a mixture of Dr. Eggman and a spider, but uh, he did, he actually did remind me of Dr. Eggman. Right. When I was looking, I was like, Oh, he did, cause the mustache and the, the goggle things. It's like, he does look like Eggman. And for lie. the first <laughs> few minutes, he doesn't speak. He comes off very unnerving. And yet he ends up being one of the most kind of, more kind of characters. Yeah. He movie. ends up helping with the, the train tickets. Yeah. And so he's really nice yeah. I think it's sort of like her way of journeying through this world of the unknown. And there's probably a lot of really good, there's some really good embedded metaphors there. Um, I think I, I, I really like the unique, like the unique take on at the end of the day, a, you know, coming of age road trip movie, essentially. <laughs> this is kind of a road trip movie. <laughs> Am um, I wrong? It's just most of it doesn't take place in the car, but you're right. They're they're in a car at the start of the film, going to a destination. Yeah. And then in the last shot, they're back in the car, going to that destination. So yeah, <laughs> Spirit Away is a road film. <laughs> I think it is. It's a journey film. What's a journey? Fi- I mean, I think road films meant to be like more literal, but I know I know what you mean. Yeah. It's kind of like the Die Hard's a Christmas movie argument you can make. Like it's kind of a fun argument to have. Give me time, I'll write you an essay. <laughs> I want that essay. But, <laughs> so we talk a bit. I mean, first of all, I love... You're right, we get to hear his perspective of, of a 10-year-old girl. I think she's 10. I'm, oh, it's in the logline, she's 10. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the first shot is literally a, a POV shot of her with the flowers. Mm. And then, here's something, they didn't grapple onto this visual... Uh, element enough but her like clinching on the things when she she clinches the flowers and she clinches on her mum's arm and then they don't really take I mean they pay it off at the end mm. but there's, they don't really pay that aspect off in the rest of the film or in the actual Alice in Wonderland tunnel they go through which I thought was interesting but I always the thing that I always I always thought I don't know if, how long are we ready to go into spoiler territory uh, I've still got a fair bit I want to talk about so Pre- pre-spoiler Oh, so spoiler territory. Um, yeah, no, we can jump to spoilers. Okay, cool. Um, I think I just so, spoiled it with the last talking about the last shot. Oh, who cares? Oops! You should have um, watched this movie a long time ago. Yes, yeah, twenty years old. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen to Zeke. <laughs> um, no, I, I always thought it was really interesting. Um, how every time I thought I knew where the the film was going, mm. it sort of was like, nope. <laughs> um, I should just just shut up and go along with the ride basically right yeah um because i always thought haku um and that's another like like it's little trope things where it's like i don't know like like it's like the thing where it's like to break his curse he someone needed to love him but like it wasn't conventional love at the end of the day it no was it was more, it was that he remembered his name oh yeah but there was the other one the control the control curse uh, oh, um, like no, that's when she one. she stepped on the bug. Yeah, the bug thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the bug thing came out because she loved him. That's what the other granny says. I, okay. 
Right, because she feeds him the she feeds him like that little thing. Mm-hmm. But I guess there's also the the metaphorical side of it too. The love but it's part. more like a sibling love rather than well, apparently it's more a nature nature love really. Apparently, because he's a river. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the river. <laughs> no, he was a river. He was the river. He was oh, the river. right, because because he says you fell into. And yeah, I always okay, thought okay. he would be like the friend that she left behind. That's where I thought they were going. I'm surprised they didn't tease it more earlier in the film. That she had this memory of falling into the river. I didn't recall, catch a lot of that. Yeah, well, it's right. like when it's like when she he's ride she's riding the dragon. No, I know that, that scene. Yeah, but I'm I'm surprised they didn't do the like the 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 trope thing like of the like PTSD. Yeah, where she sees it every twenty minutes. Yeah, and we got to learn. They do that in extraction as well. Where it's like, oh look, an overexposed shot of Chris Hemsworth, probably his kid who died. 20 hours later, oh, look at that. The kid died. I just spoiled extraction for you. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Sorry, who cares? Um, I was surprised they didn't do that. Not that I picked up on, but um, that's probably the one thing I would argue is like, it might have been better if it did that, the film as a whole. But Yeah, I always thought that they were going like, the card that she got from her friend when she was leaving the place was him. But I was like... Oh, oh that, yeah, that would have been clever. And like she, and like that. the river PTSD thing was like him saving her from the river, but he's forgotten about it, and right? Because he doesn't know his name, but you know it was sort of there. Well, the whole enough. the whole name thing itself is so. So the, this is the thing I didn't actually know this, but the, a lot of the characters in the world that's been built here is actually based on folklore. And mm-hmm. let, let me double check the term. Uh, God, where did they go? Zeke, I lost, I lost my note. So tense. <laughs> this is, you know what? This is embarrassing. I think, it, oh, there it is. Jesus Christ. So it's based on Japanese Shinto Buddhist folklore. And apparently... Uh, yes, I'm familiar with this. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. You can obviously enjoy the film without knowing anything about that. But if you do, I think there's going to be a lot of familiar characters in here. And I think the whole stealing the name idea is part of that folklore. And it's a part of growing up, is having your name sort of stolen or returned or whatever the case may be because of course part of the film is her remembering her own name not the name that she's given in the I almost said factory it's a bathhouse but I thought that was quite interesting when I read that I was like okay so that's playing into the folklore here and it, it, so a lot of the mythical stuff there is research we can do on that which is cool mm. um, but I f- obviously I think the film stands on its own regard next to that yeah but, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said I walked away with it feeling really uh, like I, I really enjoyed it, and I do like that unconventional way of telling seemingly conventional stories. Um, mm. You know, I think definitely over the course of this podcast, at least I've definitely talked about how I feel like I'm kind of sick of seeing coming of age films told the same <laughs> Western world way. So it's actually nice That's to see true. something a little bit different. Yeah, exactly. It's it's such a like it is the easy throwaway. Like, oh, it's a coming of age film. It sort of covers a lot of ground mm-hmm. if you can't define what a film is. But it is so perfectly weaved into this just extravagant story. And I don't know. It's just it is fever dream. It, I believe it, it, it's it, it's definitely a fever dream. I think the thing I take away the most tonally is when the music's swelling and there's like these cool, especially when she's riding the dragon at the mm-hmm. end and some of the stuff that leads up to that. The highlight scene I'm going to talk about, especially, which we'll get into later, um, just, it makes me just smile. It's just like, this is such a fucking genuine film, you know? Like it's, it's you know, when you watch the classics, you know, it's like uh, Spielberg did in a lot of his earlier stuff when you're watching a film and you're like, 
man, this is just, it feels magical. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this film totally nails the magic, I feel like, in that regard. Um, all right, I think before we move on to further inquiries, I want to talk a bit about the animation itself. Okay. Since first hand-drawn animated film we've done on the show, I think let's give it some love. What I noticed is, I mean, first off, it anime is quite, I noticed it's not very smooth, it's very janky animated animation at times. Oh, yeah. In terms of the actual movement, but of course, I think it's trumped by the overall, like, the character designs and the actual visual aesthetic of everything, and I love looking out for specific things and how those things are animated. A big one is eyes. I think eyes is usually, like, when you watch a cartoon, you're like, okay, well, how do they do eyes? Eyes are always different. If you look at something like Rick and Morty and The Simpsons, completely different set of eyes, even though the animation style is not too dissimilar. And for some reason, this from Clouds, I loved watching Clouds and how they animated, like, what the hell, what the puffs look like, what kind of grey or yeah. white are they, how fast are they moving, and it's just stuff like that is always interesting and fascinating to me. I, I, yeah, I'm not huge, I didn't hugely, ana- like, analyse the, the animation. Right. Um, mainly because I think maybe this plays into why it's so, uh, like every character design has to be exquisite, but almost economical maybe in its presentation. Like they design yeah. uh, certain things, certain ways, because it might make it easier to animate their movement. Maybe, maybe that's why they have, you know, characters that don't have legs <laughs> um, that might uh, play into it potentially. But um, I, I, yeah, I never found myself like, like my suspension of disbelief, on the immersion of the film was ever lost. So right. um, it definitely feels like, um, I mean, you brought up the lip sync. Uh, I think that's something that uh, cheaper hand-drawn animations can, if it's not paid, the the dub doesn't work. So you mm. end up with these very odd jokes that make sense in Japanese culture, but they make no sense in Western culture. And But that never happened in this film. Yeah, th- so. I don't, there's nothing really funny in the dialogue in this film. Like, I never laughed at something that someone said, necessarily. No, no, no. Not I don't really, think so, no. not from memory. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I found it uh, pretty interesting. Maybe that's why they did a train underwater, too, so they didn't have to do all the wheels turning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, See, now, now I'm going to watch all these films in the future and like, analyse the animation. I never do that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I think anima- it's so easy to forget what animation looks like. Yeah. And now, you know, I rewatched. I was saying the Simpsons movie earlier... I rewatched Pinocchio recently, or parts of it, and I'm just I'm trying to see how things are animated because it, it's one of those things that goes over my head. Yeah, I, I think that comes back to that that I'm just not seasoned in analyzing yeah. or knowing how they do the things. So it's exactly, sort of like yeah. I can still have my awe sense in in watching anim like hand drawn animation because I could never do that. Right, I could yeah. never do anything remotely resembles that. Whereas when we watch a film, that's just you know conventional shot film live shot. action yeah yeah it's like you know i'm aware of what's going on behind the scenes without yeah you know how it was lit and everything exactly so it's like that's that's way easier to analyze if i can say something's conventionally good or conventionally bad or can just like analyze that more intrinsically because mm. i know what's going on in it but it's like it's like looking at a piece of art that i've never studied in my life <laughs> and being like yeah it's cool i i get the same thing with music Obviously, we both yeah. love music, but I know I personally, it's hard for me to analyze music just sonically because it's like I don't really, I can probably identify like what instruments have been played, but you're right. It's like I'm not inversed in that world. So there's so much 
about making music that I would never understand, and it's yeah, very like the similar. environments recorded in what the mics are, all that. Yeah, I mean that stuff that's sort of similar to film sound. Yeah, I can sort of grasp, but so you're talking like the feeling of yeah, the like music. like the actual maybe music theory or like yeah. written music or something. Yeah. And, and the same with animation, where it's like I don't really know where to begin with that. Like I could watch, I could watch fifty or sixty different behind the scenes of hand drawn animation Disney stuff. And I'm still not really going to know what it's about. It's going to be like a lot of pictures of sketches and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just not the same, you know. If you have a hand, if you are an animator, I'm sure you could come on here and be like, blah blah. So two hours <laughs> of just, oh well, they did this thing and they did this thing. Yeah. And I would become the person going, yeah, cool. <laughs> no, it's exactly right. That's why. That's why I wanted to give it a bit of acknowledgement because we can't talk about it the way it should deserves to be talked about the, yeah. in the animation but we can at least acknowledge like what sort of is happening like i love the way um jihiro and I, another side note like, i just love how normal she's designed obviously in comparison to all the wild wacky spirits around her but it's just in terms of the way she's clothed the way she moves the way like her yeah. hair like animate remember that there's that one moment where like there's this weird shiver effect Oh, when she's like, I think it's when the stink spirits coming in. Like, there's a weird shiver effect that goes over her body. I'm like, that is the weirdest animation I've seen in this. Well, film. she's never over the top. Like, she's mm. never um doing those sort of comic like anime sort of things. You know, where like their head gets really big or they like, has, like right, a... yeah. When it's like that, you you get that shot sometimes. Like when Yababa like sprints to the camera oh, yeah, but no, that that's different that's different I'm talking about like yeah the the yeah. exclusive character of like Chihiro right gotcha she's very grounded like just cuz she's screaming she's screaming like a kid would scream yeah it's there's not, not like, an over exaggerated animation and i think having that like the only times you ever see the more extreme animations are in characters of the spirit world not in the grounded characters of reality and that helps with the fish out of water sort of mm uh, portrayal, you know, because at the end of the day, she's just a ten-year-old girl. So why does she have to be animated like anything but a normal ten-year-old girl? Yeah. Well, I just love that they didn't succumb to, like, I mean, obviously she's ten years old, so you would hope that there's no over-sexualization or something. But I just love that she's just like literally normal. Yeah. And like she wears normal pajamas, she wears normal like the gown when she's working, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just great design. No, that's classic. That's good. Well. That's good. But yeah, if you want to learn more about the animation side, there's a podcast I listen to called Knockback, which is on Spotify and stuff as well, where they do a lot of nostalgia things. So they don't necessarily do movies, but they did do an episode on Spirit of the Way, and one of the hosts, Dagan Moriarty, is an animator for Sesame Street. So I've listened to it yonkies ago. I don't remember how much he talks about the animation, but that does exist if mm. you want a more analytical review of the animation of Spirit of the Way. So. I'm sure yeah. there's there's plenty of YouTube videos out there too. Oh, absolutely! Of I'm like sure. actual animators talking about it, which would probably be better in that that terms of as a film. We can analyze the conventions of a film, but not mm. the animation, the story, and the tone, and all that which stuff. I like. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Um, all right. Well, I'm going from my notes. I've actually covered a lot of stuff that I've, I usually delete my notes as I'm talking. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of stuff I haven't deleted yet, but I probably should. Screw all that. Zeke, do you have a highlight scene? Or are you ready to go into highlight uh, scenes? Yeah, I'm more than happy to go into highlight scenes. Um, I really like uh, mostly just the um, sort of the no-face sequence in the film. Okay. Um, it's a probably 
20 to 30 minute chunk of the movie um if i was to pick a scene from it i actually like the scene where he took like the first time we reveal i don't know if it's no faces intentions but when he eats the frog it made me kind of laugh <laughs> um i just like that scene you just don't like the frog no yeah, well, the frog's a bit annoying but yeah um <laughs> But honestly, if I was to pick a scene, it's a shame he the, survives. the nightfall reveal. Uh, okay. The first ever time the transition between the normal world and right the Right at the start of the world. film. Okay. Yeah, it's about 20 to 30 minutes in. But the music score in that and sort of just the... Uh, the mystery the behind The life it. coming mm. into it was just... It's a really... Yeah, it is. It's it's very much a what. like, And it all starts when you know, Chihiro's like pulling at her dad and then her dad's a pig. And then you're like, Whoa. what a great shot when he turns like, that's when the, the jagged animation works so well. Cause it's, it's like a slow reveal of him slowly turning to, her. Yeah. and I remember the first time watching that in primary school being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and that reveal is really good. Um, I would probably say that's probably my highlight scene. Nice. But uh, I do like, yeah, the whole no face sort of uh, bath sequence of like them, just like sort of commenting, I guess, on the 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 capitalistic greed of the place, and how I got a lot of that, it. yeah, for sure. It is the obsession with money and sort of how he takes advantage. Well, he takes advantage of their greedy drives, I guess. But yeah, well, they're like, you know, you give us the gold, we'll give you everything you want, and he's just eating, 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 yeah. and yeah, it's cool. There's definitely a lot to tackle, and like you said, it's abstract enough where there's like this, just you can take different things away from those yeah. scenes, which yeah. What is what is why like, why is compassion the thing that undoes him basically mm. and sets him over? I don't know. That's <laughs> even like honestly I, that that whole part of it was a little confusing, but at the same time, I can I, maybe he's to represent the toxicity of potential capital like over capitalistic nature, and maybe that's what he. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe it's. And I'm just thinking about it now. Of course, I think it's the fact that they're allowing him this greed because like they're offering him the god they're allowing consumption exactly they're allowing him to do this to literally eat. consuming and people it's like the pigs as well yeah. like the pigs they've got infinite amount of food to eat so they can be fattened up yeah for consumption themselves so there you go there's a lot there's a lot to why was this so marketable in america again because <laughs> um. americans like to think they're uh self-aware okay but um yeah maybe i'm going a little too far with that <laughs> what about you jake um my highlight scene has to be Oh my god, I'm trying... You know what, I'm trying to look at my notes. I keep getting emails from Murdoch, being like, hey, alumni, do this quiz. So I'm like, no. <laughs> Sorry. No, I got one too. Oh, really? <laughs> Just then, I literally went to press the button and it's like, ding! Uh, my highlight scene has to be when the, the stink spirit comes in for its bath. Mm-hmm. And just the whole sequence of them preparing for, for the stink spirit to like come in and they're trying to feed him off the, the fence, which... I was just losing it laughing. This is so funny. And then leading into him actually in the bathtub and the whole thing where they find like the shtick inside mm. of it. And then uh, your bubbub's like, oh, that's no stink spirit. And they all kind of come together to pull out like all the... It's very satisfying, firstly. It's like popping a yeah. pimple or something. <laughs> but like just that whole sequence is... It's what we talk about when we say like a scene should be able to embody a self-sufficient short film. And I think narratively it doesn't do that so well. I mean, within the context of the scene, she wins over the majority of the of the bathhouse. So mm. like all the everyone, including your bubba, is like, "Oh my god, like you did so good." 
but just in terms of the emotions I went through from like losing it laughing to being so ex- excited about what was happening just so intrigued it was a fucking phenomenal scene and and of course the dragon scene the, oh, the, the rib, yeah the, that was great as well yeah yeah Good stuff. I'm 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 glad we got to do a film that you 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 love as much as you do, and age has not withered your opinion on it. No, absolutely not. If anything, it's a uh, it's exponentially grown my appreciation for the film. But before we move on, we of course have our good and bad social distancing practice. <laughs> How long is this gonna go on for? I don't until the virus ends, Zeke. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's gonna be like ages. <laughs> It's going to be years. Um, right, so for those of you who didn't follow up last week, we started our new segment after our highlight scenes. Scenes that describe good and bad social distancing practices on screen because it is sometimes a little cringy to watch certain movies and see how close people are to each other. So, Zeke, uh, do you want me to start or do you want to start with a good social distancing scene? Well, a good social distancing scene would be... Ooh. I mean, everyone I was struggled pretty, with this everyone too. was pretty separate on the train. When that were, was mine. I did the train as had, well. Like, they had some good spacing. Everyone kept to themselves on the train. So yeah, that is so mine as good... well. Oh, there we go. Because I could not for the life of me think of another one. Bad social distancing practices would be like most of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, the one I specifically picked out was the parents eating the unattended food. A lot of people were coughing in your local supermarkets, guys, so don't just start eating food without taking a look at it. That is bad. Yeah. Social distancing practicing. Um, just the whole market situation. A lot of people could just grab food. Right, just that it's there. And, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. That's sort of why I leaned as well. I mean, there's, def- there's plenty of them. Um, you're right, there's so many <laughs> scenes you could point to and be like, uh, 1.5 meters, guys. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be weird now watching movies like that, right? Like, well, that's yeah, that's that's why I wanted to bring the segment it, does in. It make you cringe more? A little bit, it does. It does. There was one film I was in particular I was watching weeks ago. I was like, oh, and this 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 makes me uncomfortable how close everyone is. But I guess that that would have been the peak, I suppose, of like the fear mongering virus stuff. Yeah, I mean. It's a bit bit different for us now, right? But it is. This for the time, rest of the world, we're, we're going to mm. keep this going for a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it going. I mean, this time next week, we theoretically will be going back to Nando's yes. safely. So we awesome. won't. We'll be our own bad scene. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll just quote ourselves. Well, thank you guys for listening to Spirit Away. That, uh, it's on Netflix right now, as well as all of Studio Ghibli's other films. It's true. It's oh. true. Great time to watch them. But uh, yeah, it's out yeah. in a uh, out in wide release. So give it a check, give it a watch. We would absolutely recommend it. Oh, beautiful film! Five, now, five stars, five stars. Jake, what's new in <laughs> streaming platforms? New this in week? streaming, uh, so not a lot this week, thankfully. There's usually so much crap coming out. Okay, mm-hmm. we're relaxing. Uh, so this week on Netflix, we're getting the final season of Shit's Creek. Spelled S C H I T T. It's a dude from uh, uh, American Pie, right? The dad. Oh, American maybe Pie. it is. I, yeah. I, so. I don't know. I don't watch the show, but I think the sixth and final season that comes out on Thursday. And Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend, which I think is a follow up to the series finale for the show. And it's actually a interactive Netflix film, much like Bandersnatch. So that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. I think it's I think it's less intense. Like it's more fun and quirky choices you're making. You know, kiss, don't kiss, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch it, but obviously I'm not familiar with the IP of the show, so I might be a little lost watching that. Yeah, it's, a, it's something different. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I just wanted to mention it because like, that's really cool. We're getting another interactive sort of film on Netflix. On Stand this week, we've got Meet the Scammers Hail Satan, which I think is a documentary feature. I'm not too sure about that. 
I struggle to find information about it. Uh, Very Small Business Season 1, which I think is, it's already an established show. It's just coming to stand. And uh, uh, Ophelia, I think. Ophelia. Ophelia, thank you. Uh, 2018's Ophelia is coming to stand this week as well, which I didn't realize till last night stars Daisy Ridley. So I didn't know that. There we go. Uh, And on Disney Plus this week, uh, everything comes out on Friday the 15th, not the 13th. Uh, and this includes Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, uh, the Fury, f- uh, the Fury Files, which I read as Furry Flies initially, which is not. That's What's that about? Uh, it's Nick Fury animated talking about Marvel characters. So if you're into that, you're into that. It's not MCU related. It's mm. I think it's like Ultimate Spider-Man sort of cartoon territory. Oh, okay. So if you're into that, there you go. And uh, uh, the series premiere of It's a Dog's Life with Bill Farmer. So, there you go. That's what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Boy, yeah. oh boy. Oh, get it gone. Uh, so, that's, <laughs> so that's that's all coming to streaming this week. Well, it is time to move into the 1990s for the Cinema Sideshow Countdown Through the Decades we're, Retrospective. We're in a new millennium. <laughs> we are now leaving the 21st century and moving into the 20th century. Does that mean we can't do this podcast anymore? No, it means we'll be two centuries old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> So, Jake, do you want to tell us how our community voted and what we are watching right. next week on the show? So, uh, the vote was, unlike usually, it was very tight this time. Very tight vote. Wowzers. 24 to 19. So, very close. And for the first time, this is the fourth time we've ever done a vote on this show. And the, yeah, with um, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. Yonkies ago. This is the first time that we've gotten different results in our personal polls. Yes. So we had to communicate and be like, oh, what actually won? Holy crap. Uh, and by a close margin, the winner of this week's poll is Train Spotting. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. You're a quiet, sensitive type. A little bit crazy, a little bit bad. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and dental insurance. You lied on your application. Only to get my foot in the door. What exactly attracts you to the leisure industry? Renton is a drug dealer who tries to mend his ways by moving to London and starting life afresh. He, however, is pulled back into the world of addiction by his friends. This film is our latest addition to the director's corner also. Uh, and it's, yeah, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. Which, so, whose filmography I did not realize was as vast as it is. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to try and catch a few more, Danny. I've seen both Train Spottings. Jake has not seen either of them. I'll watch both of them this next week. Um, I will rewatch them, but I'm going to try and get a couple of his other films that you have seen that I have not. Seen. Right. So you're talking about like Steve Jobs, 127 Hours. Yes, I haven't seen either of them. Oh so, wow. Well. I'm we guessing. Go. So we've both seen Sumdog Millionaire. Yes. We've both seen 28 Days Later. I guess. Yes. I can't like this filmography and is yesterday. so and oh yeah and yesterday we yeah we've both seen yesterday there you go um yeah I'm gonna Jesus try and broaden it, broaden it a little bit um with some of his more contemporary films that most of them received relatively mm. positive praise for so really keen to talk about Train Spotting uh it's but, been yeah. probably a long time one for me on the show so it's really nice to yeah I, I finally get to watch it I will say because this this is Zeke's vote yes. that one I did Jurassic Park and again very close tie. Mm. And the reason, the only reason I'm disappointed I'm not going to be able to watch Jurassic Park for the show this week is because I recently bought a VHS player, 
and I actually have a VHS copy of Jurassic Park. Do you want to tell the audience how much you paid for a VHS player? Less than 50 bucks. I'm <laughs> proud of that. I am proud. Go on eBay. You find one that's less than 50 bucks. It's a fucking bitch. It's a VHS player. The thing comes out looking like shit. You give me shit for having DVDs. I was... I was <laughs> okay, fair point, but... <laughs> Look, I'm a nostalgic kind of guy. Okay. I could use it for production design if I make a film set in 2001, yeah, like Spirit okay. of the Way. That's fair. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it took me... And you know what? You know what? For Mother's Day, you know what we did half the day? We grabbed old videotapes mm. that were filmed on old bulky cameras. And of me. how bad they looked. <laughs> no, they looked really good, actually. It was me and my siblings growing up, and we watched the tapes that my dad put together. So, you know, there's plenty intrinsic value to VHS. But I wanted to watch Jurassic Park on a VHS for the podcast. Okay. But um, I, I can't Sorry to disappoint you. Maybe I'll find train spotting on VHS. We are in the 90s after... Zeke, we're in the 90s now. Yeah, it's an authentic I'm a, watch. I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> no worries. Well, until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Train Spotting. Choo-choo.